Now, I have a personal theory, and I can't prove this, but I think some of the Old Testament prophets were on that spectrum. I did read about if some you of that. You at, talked about Lazarus. And yeah, I mean, if you have a look at some of the behaviors of Jeremiah or Ezekiel, now, it's slightly dangerous because we're talking about an understanding of medicine and mental health that's developed in the last 150 years. But it doesn't mean autistic people haven't been around. They've clearly been around. They've been in our culture. They've existed. Now, it could be that some of those people who spoke truth to power, almost to the point where it was so dangerous, but they just had to speak the truth. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Time to Grow. This is a podcast about well-being in general, but also one about stories specifically. It's about interplay between this thing called mental health that feels like it's become a buzzword and the real-life stories of those who are dealing with these issues in real time. This show, then, is, in effect, practice, helping me tap into perspectives that define what it means to live well, mentally, emotionally, and otherwise and hopefully helping you grow in understanding too. Which leads me to my guest today, Mr. Calvin Wood. He's the author of an extraordinary book called Entertaining Angels, Living Well with Autism as a Family in Society and in Church. Autism affects not only the person, but the people with whom they come in contact. As an educator and the father of an autistic child, Calvin is able to combine theory and practice in a way that can help us better understand and support those we know with the condition. Ultimately, for me, it's about recognizing that every single one of us have been made in the image of God, which means engaging with those who have autism should be primarily about creating community where people are valued and welcome. My name is Toso, and just in case you were not aware, I am not a mental health expert, just a fellow who likes to help share good stories. If you would like some additional resources, either about autism or mental wellness more broadly, don't forget to check out some of the links in the show notes below. After you've listened to this podcast, of course. Once again, my guest today is Calvin Wood. That's C-A-V-A-N for those who like to Google. And this is Time to Grow. First question I wanted to ask you is, from your perspective, what exactly is autism and why did you decide in your book to address this from a Christian perspective? Autism is a, a set of conditions that affect the way people see the world. Hmm. And increasingly, uh, it's talked about as a spectrum. So sort of a set of rainbow conditions. So it, it can vary from people having high states of anxiety might be one way in which autism is shown. It, it could also include being nonverbal. So there's a whole variety of different things. But overwhelmingly, it means that you look at the world and experience the world in a different way. Mm. Sometimes a more intense way, sometimes a more detached way than what is perceived to be. And I'm going to put this in brackets now, mm -hmm. air brackets. Yeah. Uh, normal. Right, right. I think normal or normality in general is a very, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in some respects, because in a way, none of us are really normal, but that's what we tend to measure for, for some reason or the other. So thank you for kind of giving us that broad overview. I talked about the Christian perspective of why I address autism. Part of your story is that you have 
family members who have been diagnosed. And so this has become very practical for you. In chapter eight of your book, you actually spoke about some of the practical ways that the church in general can help support people. And you talked about things like prayer, training, social enterprise. I wanted you to expound on some of those things. What are some of the practical ways that we as a society can become better? And specifically as a church, as people who are supposed to be, you know, intentional about these things, how can we become better stewards of our gifts to help uh, support these families who are going through things like this? I think it starts by listening. Hmm. So it starts by listening to families in the church who are going through this experience. And the experience, particularly if you have a a diagnosis of either a a child or a teenager with this particular condition, that can often be very difficult for families to come to terms with. Um, And I think it's got to start by listening to people rather than offering them easy solutions. So see where they are and support them in prayer and practical help where they are, not necessarily where they want to get to or where you would like them to get to, but where they actually are in in their story at that moment. So what's been very useful for for myself and my wife as we've gone through this experience is that we've had a church that has supported us. And one of the things they did was they set up a, a family supper evening of various parents who have either got children with autism or other special needs conditions. And uh, to begin with, I was a little bit skeptical about this. I thought, are they going to sit us down and get us to read the Bible together (laughs) and pray directly about it? But actually the first thing they did was they just got us to sit down and, and share our lives with each other, just have a meal and talk about what we were going through. And that was really very, very powerful. You know, we could then, as a, as a family, if we wanted to go away, as I have, go and do the theology later and try and work out where God was in that later. But the first thing, just meeting together and, and having fellowship together with a common, you know, common Christian faith, but also a common uh, situation in our families. Mm. Uh, that was really useful. That's a beautiful answer. I think sometimes we forget that in in the midst of the storm, we often reach for the platitudes, right? We reach for the, the quick words of advice or encouragement, and those can be nice, but yeah. it's it's important to realize, too, that sometimes this presence, just listening, just being there is, is a lot more valuable. So I've actually been diagnosed, not with autism. I have a disorder or, or condition. I will talk mm-hmm. about the verbiage a little bit later as well, but right. um, with schizophrenia, I tend not to think of it specifically as a disorder. So in your book, in the preface, you said something along the lines of professionals are talking about autistic spectrum condition rather than Mm. autistic spectrum disorder. And I wondered if that's more accurate or how how people in this day and age of wanting to respect people as, you know, fully fledged people, is that something that is an appropriate way to think of it as a condition rather than a disorder and maybe some implications of that? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it is um, because it it's not something that is necessarily treatable, and in the past there was a lot of hurt done by people who thought it was treatable. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, you know, the, the, an old-fashioned view of this was that um, autism arose because mothers weren't very effective in bonding with their children. Now that made a whole generation of mothers needlessly guilty about something that is not caused by that. Mm. So an acceptance 
of who we are in in Christ and an acceptance of what we are is really really important rather than branding ourselves now it's it's useful we need a, a label perhaps to to help us understand why somebody is as they is right. uh, or as they are rather um but um we don't use that to limit and sometimes they do surprise so one of the kind of myths about people on the autistic spectrum for example is that they lack empathy um, and they can't understand other people's points of view actually it's not that easy there are some on that spectrum who you might argue have too much empathy and can be too moved by other people's pain and, and they come overwhelmed by it so it's it's very much um, about finding the individual and caring for the individual disorders and diseases by their nature you're thinking about large numbers of people this is very much let's let's see what is the individual's personality what is their individual sort of manifestation of autism and caring for that mm. and helping them to live as effective life as possible so you spoke to thinking about the individual and not blanketing these people in these kind of statements that may or may not be accurate. Um, and you also said in the book that you named the book Entertaining Angels, which I thought was interesting. And you explained that we could meet angels in autistic people, messengers of God who speak truth and challenge us in many ways. If we embrace that way of seeing things, it would be transformative. And you also mentioned that sometimes our language and labels can limit versus kind of edify. Personally, so I'm yep. from Chicago. I came to the to the UK in 2019, and one of the first friends I made was somebody who was on the on the spectrum. He is autistic, and um, I I actually found that my relationship with him, which is still going on to this day, is has been a really fruitful one because of certain things that I feel are lacking in other people. Things like honesty and and reliability in some things. Like I I think that there are actual strengths that if we took the time to listen and really lean into we would see that these people have a lot to offer. And so I wanted you maybe to speak to some of the perhaps strengths of autism in some of the ways that it can actually be a net positive to the people who choose to be a part of those lives. Well, one of the manifestations of the condition can be sort of um, ordering and wanting to find order and patterns. Okay. Now, if you're running a church and you have that slightly finickety member of your church council, it can feel quite painful if you're a leader, but it actually can do you the world of good because that person can stop further trouble developing. The kind of person who could be obsessive about, say, the finances of the church, that might actually be a result not of being an accountant. That might actually be the result of uh, an autistic condition that they can, they can spot detail. And I'm not very good with this. I'm a sort of big picture man, you know, and rush often and don't think about the details. Now, yeah. One of the things I think autism does for some people, doesn't do it for all people, but it does make them think about some of the details and cause them to that. You're right too about truth. It can be very, very unnerving um, <laughs> because, because many of us uh, live with a degree of lying. And if you are aware that when they live with truth, then that's actually a more successful way to live. I mean, I have a personal theory and I can't prove this, but I think some of the Old Testament prophets were on that spectrum. I did read about some of that. You talked about Lazarus. And yeah, I mean, like... if you have a look at some of the behaviors of Jeremiah or Ezekiel, now it's slightly dangerous because we're talking about an understanding of medicine and mental health that's developed in the last 150 years. But 
it doesn't mean autistic people haven't been around. They've right. clearly been around. They've been in our culture. They've existed. Now, it could be that some of those people who spoke truth to power, almost to the point where it was so dangerous, but they just had to speak the truth because mm -hmm. they were possessed by that, that spirit of God telling them, you've got to speak. Yeah. Uh, I just wonder whether God's been using quite a number of people with this personality type, yeah. uh, you know, down the centuries, and we've not even been aware of it. I could see that. Um, you spoke of, you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and in general, other traits like focus, and you said ordering truth. And I think because of the fact that in the beginning, we talked about measuring for normality, and we almost find this baseline of, you know, the middle of the bell curve and the anomalies are just, oh, be damned with those. But in a way, those anomalies are the reflections of different levels of excellence in us that we might not be able to tap into in our hyper normal state. And I, I wonder if we're doing ourselves a disservice by being dismissive of people with this condition instead of learning more about it and figuring out how best to support. So speaking of how best to support, we talked about how the church can support, maybe in a more practical sense, in, in schools. I know that you've spoken a lot about education and that dynamic. How can schools become more equipped and be better at helping support and address some of the needs that we find in autistic children? Well, certainly, certainly within, there are a couple of things here. There, there's what individual teachers can do, what the system can do. So individual teachers just need to be aware. And by and large, speaking as a teacher of 34 years experience, we have that information. So we know who is on the autistic spectrum. But that doesn't mean we also we all automatically think that one through as to what that might mean in a lesson. So one of the things it, it's meant for me is I used to be a big enthusiastic of group work. Now, I won't say that i'll say if you want to work in a group fine if you want to work by yourself that is equally fine now that is because some people with autism would find working in a group unbearable stopping doing the teacher thing of going right i'm going to put you all into groups and these groups are all going to go here and saying actually let's each individual find what is best for them so that, that, that's actually good for both kids who are on the autistic spectrum and kids who aren't that they, they find what's the best way for them to learn so that's one thing right. The most significant thing, certainly within Britain, is, you know, the educational um, health plan system, what used to be called statementing. That is making sure your child goes through the process and gets the support and the money to do that. Now, I, I'm very fortunate because I'm in a because I'm a teacher. I knew quite a lot about this process. And also, I could be quite articulate and get what I wanted for, for my child what worries me are people who are not quite so articulate don't yeah. necessarily know how to do these things now one of the things the church can do here is encourage schools to make sure that every need is met so that every child who needs a statement needs that support gets it and perhaps in our churches we need to talk to those who pastor and make sure that they're aware of some of those processes and um, so that they can give advice and encouragement to make sure that support is there. Being able to kind of speak to those issues, especially you as a teacher, it might, you kind of see both sides of it and being able to then pull that expertise from that, being a parent and being a teacher, 
I think those are really helpful tools and, and just thoughts that maybe anybody out there who's struggling with this can potentially uh, draw something from. I wanted to also ask, as we close, maybe some of the ways that we can maintain authenticity and hope and just be genuine in our interactions without descending into being patronizing or, or, or discouraging. Maybe can, can you give us a few bits of pointers into how best we can do these things so that we can still maintain these relationships in a way that is authentic? Right. I, I, I'm going to do a bit of theology here, I think. I'm going, to, I'm going to start by saying we're all in the image of God. Amen. It's very clear from Genesis 1. We're all in the image of God. And that means whoever comes to you at church, whatever their experience, whatever their background, we are all in the image of God. So there's a dignity there that is part of the creation. Now, we know, obviously, that that's marred and confused by sin and all that kind of stuff. But there is a dignity there. And somebody who might struggle to speak, somebody who might struggle to look you in the eye, somebody who might struggle with their sense of own self-worth or anxiety, and these are all things that might link with autism, they are of enormous value to God because God created them. And that's where we've always got to start. Secondly, uh, and this is very hard for me to do because I'm a teacher and I love the sound of my own voice. That goes with the job description. We've got to listen rather than talk. And we've got to learn to listen to what other people are saying. And as you, you said earlier, not offer them false hope, not sort of talk over them, but actually understand exactly what people are going through. Listening support is the biggest, most important thing that you can do that phrase about bearing one another's burdens and thus fulfilling the life, the love of Christ, bearing the burden is really important here, particularly with parents who might be really struggling with, you know, what is my son or daughter's future going to be after I've been told this news or the person who as a teenager or or early adults thinking, well, how am I going to fit into society? Now the church is God's radical kingdom where people who often don't fit in should fit in. And one of the things that's also encouraged me is that long before this was part of my story, my own church had uh, at least one autistic person who's been there for 40 years, and we absolutely love him. He is a vital member of our church congregation. And that modeled to me that this was going to be a place where it was going to be fine, that we were going to find love and acceptance. So give that love and acceptance, listen, be prepared to learn, and you will find great things by all relationships uh, when they're in the power of Christ. Amen to that. Thank you for that perspective. I I love that line you said, a radical kingdom where people who don't fit should fit. I think that's a good place to potentially end here today is that thought that even people who you can't immediately understand they are still made in the image of God and they still deserve all the dignity and respect. And so on this podcast, it's about wellness in general and, and specifically mental well-being. But we kind of delve into other aspects of wellness to kind of give a more holistic perspective. But in this case, I think what wellness means is simply being well enough to understand that very fact that, yeah, we all struggle 
people struggle in different ways. Being able to approach somebody with the humility of understanding that you don't understand is one of the first steps, I think, into potentially beginning to heal some of these divides. So, Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. If anybody wants to thank find you. you or your work, where would be the best place to go to? Oh, ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> if you go to the uh, Authentic Media website, okay. um, then you'll find more about my uh, book. And uh, I suspect there's probably a link there to, to contact me that way. Alrighty, and that book was Entertaining Angels, Living Well with Autism as a Family in Society and in Church by Kevin Wood. Hello again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Time to Grow. Don't forget to follow or subscribe. Maybe even share if you really liked it. My name is Toso, and today I spoke with Calvin Wood. He's a father, an educator, and the author of Entertaining Angels. Next week, I'll be speaking with Dr. Rob Waller, a psychiatrist based in Scotland. He's a leader with the Mind and Soul Foundation here in the UK, and has written quite a few books of his own, including The Power of Belonging and The End of Worry. We'll be getting a bit more into the clinical side of mental health, namely, how the brain actually works. Though this isn't to say we won't take the time to consider the role of faith as well. Again, this was Time to Grow, a podcast by UCB. It's been a pleasure. And until next time, be well.